everybody and welcome back. It is Monday, October 31st, and you are listening to the third annual Spooktacular and the second part of episode 150 of the Can I Say Something podcast. I'm your host and ghost with the most, Damien. Joining me today is... A recluse with a spooky caboose. (laughs) Eric. On today's show, we will be discussing what we've been watching, including Andor, House of the Dragon finale, and what we've been playing, including Escape from Tarkov. Write into the show at Can I Say Something Podcast at gmail.com, at Bicycle on Twitter, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, tell a friend, family member, or stranger. What's up, man? How are you doing? I am doing well. It's a... A spooky day here, uh, <laughs> Halloween night, you know, when you're listening, not when yes. we're recording, but still, ooh, spooky. <laughs> three days before Halloween, three days left <laughs> for spooky time of the year, spooky dooky time of the year. Uh, three days left to watch anything horror. It's against the law, actually, to watch anything horror-related outside of the 31 days of Halloween, of October. I didn't know if you were aware of that or not. Oh, except for except for Gremlins because that's a Christmas movie so you can watch Gremlins during <laughs> Christmas time. So you can watch Gremlins during Christmas time exactly. Yep, yep. <laughs> All right, so let's see. Let's get into some some news. Dive right into some news. Um James Gunn and Peter Safran to lead the DC EU division. I don't know. Have you seen uh what is it? Uh, Black Adam smashed into theaters over the weekend. It's a huge drop off. I think it was like 80% drop off. In its week-to-week box office sales, major drop-off. Have you have you seen Black Adam? Have you heard anything about this film? Uh, I mean, I've I haven't seen it. Um, yes. It's it's one of those movies that I was like, yeah, maybe I'll catch it on HBO Max in a week or I mean a month or whatever, whatever it comes out on HBO yeah. Max. Yeah, uh, I was not about to rush out to the theater to go see this movie. I I mean, really, the only thing reason I would want to see this is. Pierce Bronsman as Dr. Fate, I think is yeah. really inspired casting, but I don't know. I don't, I don't care about the rock as like a leading action man. Just, I don't know. Like he's just yeah. fine, but I don't, I don't care. I really don't care about black Adam at all. Right. Yeah. They were talking about this on, honestly, uh slash film. One of, one of those, or no, it was a uh, I fanboy. They were, they were doing, they were reviewing the movie and it's just the same. They're doing, they're not learning from any of their movies. They're not hearing the audience. Um, I don't know if they want to hear them. I think, I think the rock really wanted to make a movie and spoilers for a lot of the stuff coming up. I don't know if you, if you saw uh, how this movie ends or what the stinger was for this movie. I I think I know what it is. Yeah. So you can say it. So rock really wants to fight Superman. Like that's, (laughs) he's, it's, it's been a long gestating process for this movie to come out. And I'm, you know, I feel sympathy for him in that way, but you can't just, 
uh, overstep, step over the groundwork you need to do to build up to con- major conflicts like that. You know, it was uh, it was famously uh, you know ten years, twelve years project to get to Endgame, to get to Infinity War, and they laid the groundwork and they earned that. They earned those moments in Infinity War Endgame where you know Iron Man almost dies, you have a major threat in, in, in Thanos. But right now, what DC wants to do, and I think The Rock wanted to do, was just like skip over all of that groundwork and all that work you have to do to build in that that um, that in world, you know, sort of threat and and um, tension, and just wanted to go straight to Superman. So Superman is at the end of uh, Black Adam, and you know, the natural villain. I'm not super familiar with Black Adam, but I know that, or it seemed like the the natural next fight would have been or conflict would have been with Shazam and Shazam. Yeah. I, I saw Shazam and um, I thought it was a great movie. Um, I thought it was one of the best DC EU movies uh, next to, you know, maybe after Birds of Prey, that was also really great. But the next uh, obvious villain for Black Adam was supposed to be Shazam. And now he's like, well, actually, no, we want Superman, we want <laughs> Superman and Black Adam one-on-one at WrestleMania. Let's do this, brother. <laughs> you know, it's just, he wants to he wants to be in the main event all the time. I understand, you know, he he wants to be that guy. And he also, also, he doesn't like losing fights. So it's like Black Adam's going to lose to Superman. That's just how that works. That's just the, yeah. the, the nature of the world. <laughs> Superman just wins. That's just, that's how that fight should go. But obviously The Rock famously didn't want to get uh, he didn't want to lose any fights in the Fast and the Furious franchise, which is what uh, the source of a lot of conflict between him and uh, Vin Diesel on the set of that on the set of those movies. So mm-hmm. I think they have a really rough road ahead of them if they're going to stick with what they're doing right now. Yeah, no, uh, which is why I'm glad that maybe they're going to be getting somebody with uh, some more know-how and experience on board. Yes, yes, you know James Gunn is coming from. The MCU uh, had a lot of time to uh, work in that arena, and maybe he'll bring, you know, that um, the sort of that air of, of collaboration of you know having one guy, uh, Peter um, Kevin Feige at the helm there, <clears throat> not yeah, to well, be two guys at, in this case. Yeah, you're having two guys here, uh, but with the MCU, you have you know Kevin Feige. Maybe, yeah. There's probably some other people that are uh, also help him out, but you know, just to have like uh, <clears throat> a guy at the head of the, of the boat saying, we're going to go in this direction, this whole franchise, all these movies are going to move towards, you know, you know, dark side, not next movie and not the third movie, maybe the fifth movie and the four movies in between are going to be this, this, and this are going to be justice league and justice society. And also, you know, he's done guardians of the galaxy when he approached them about guardians of the galaxy. And when that first news broke and those trailers first coming, first started coming out, people were like, what the fuck is this? Who are these people? Mm. Who's star Lord? Who the fuck is a talking raccoon? This will never work. And it did, you know? So I think he's yeah. really good at bringing in those tangential um, on the edges characters from that universe. And you saw it with the suicide squad movie that he did. He had fucking polka dot man and made that guy work. So hopefully he's not only going to sort of steer the ship, in terms of the big hitters, in terms of the big three, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, now Black Item, now Shazam, you know, sort of steer that giant boat forward next to, to its next great uh, fight with other, wherever that is, but also making movies and bringing in characters that you wouldn't think would work live action that probably will work live action with, with James Gunn's, uh, with his touch there. Yeah, and honestly, like, the only DCEU movie that I really, really thought was great was probably... Uh, the Suicide Squad by James Gunn. So 
Yep. Um, which I think, you know, the uh, was also produced by um, the other guy who's going to be, I forget his name right now, um, but the other guy who is taking over um, uh, in, uh, I guess, what's his name? Uh, Peter Safran um, yeah. was also a producer on that. So, yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited that, you know, because DC has these great characters. And, um, you know, like you said, they're going to probably bring out some characters off the bench that are going to smaller ones. But, yeah, it's just Marvel with the scraps, with not even, like, the A-list Marvel characters for a long time, was just beating them like a drum. And they have, like, Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman, the three, the, probably three of the at least four biggest superheroes in the world. And Marvel had just, like, Iron Man and Captain America and yep. car- characters that, like, you know, C or D-list at, before the movies came out. And they just, just beat them consistently. So now, hopefully with some some guidance and steerage we'll, we'll see what happens but warner brothers is such a mess after, with the whole david zaslav and everything that you know who knows who knows but yeah hopefully it'll be good yeah yeah hopefully it will be good exactly um so yeah some stuff i've been watching uh let's get to that um uh, really want to talk about andor andor is one of the best uh properties uh that have come out of Star Wars universe in a very long time. Maybe the best. Maybe the best. I don't want to be too hyperbolic about it, but this is kind of incredible uh, what they're doing with this show. Have you seen any of Andor? I've seen the first three episodes, I want to say. I'm really far behind. And I have really enjoyed it. It feels like they... It's like Disney is so just like protective of their IPs and they're like, oh, well, we... Kids watch Star Wars, so we gotta, you know, keep it PG and yada, 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 and can't have anything interesting and this just feels like they didn't nobody really cared about Cassian Andor so they just kind of like secretly made a great Star Wars show that's like shot on actual locations and has interesting characters and it's just this spy thriller where people can say shit and have sex and stuff like that and I'm like <laughs> this is it feels like you know Star Wars for people for adults like it's not Star Wars for kids or Star Wars that is made with kids like oh well we have we can't make this this Obi Wan show too too graphic because some of the yeah. kids are watching it's like no fuck it just do whatever you want with Andor and there's some really <laughs> cool spy thriller stuff the characters are really interesting and dark and diverse and I- I'm loving it you know I-, I I need to catch up I've just been watching too much spooky stuff that I'm yeah um fa- falling behind on uh some a lot of TV uh but yeah I do I do really want to see this yeah I love it so much it is um it is essentially about you know, the, uh, what is his name? Tony Gilroy wrote this fantastic screenwriter, wrote, um, a lot of the Bourne movies. He also wrote, uh, Michael mm-hmm. Clayton, one of my favorite movies from the two thousands. Um, incredible, incredible screenwriter. And I think it just shows what you can get when you hire, you know, professional screenwriters from Hollywood, really great writing, incredible characterization, incredible plot points, incredibly believable plot points. Um, does a really amazing job of, you know, we talk about all these things being grounded, but uh, I think there's different ways you can ground different properties. I think this grounds it in a way where you don't have to have uh, Sith or Jedis or giant star killers, star bases, all this giant stuff. You don't have to have, you know, usually you, you look at that stuff in the Star Wars context of being like, that's the stuff you should be afraid of. But they really made this, <clears throat> they framed this in a way where you are terrified of just like one or two TIE fighters. You're terrified of just like five or six stormtroopers, or you're terrified of one just guy working for, just an investigative guy working for the Empire. Um, does a really good job of sort of making all that seem terrifying to a, to a regular everyday person. And that's what Andor feels like. Um, and then, you know, it's it, 
the movie that Tony Gilroy first came in to fix was Rogue One. And what Rogue One was about was saying, trying to not uh, retcon, but sort of get into the minutia of like, why was there this giant um, plot point, a plot hole, a literal plot hole in the Death Star where where Luke was able to just shoot one missile and blow up the Death Star? Why was it even there? So they tried to uh, crafted a movie around that idea of like, you know, was there was there a rebel inside the architecture, or was there an architectural rebel making the plans for the Death Star? Is that why that happened? Yeah, apparently. Um, so that was yeah. sort of interesting. But then I think what he what he did, what Tony Gilroy did, was sort of take that idea and, and expand it out, but also make it more nuanced and even more grounded about, you know, the the Empire is this idea of this giant galaxy spanning, all seeing, all knowing. Um, force, uh, no pun intended, but just this giant, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, not an industry, but a um, institution that has just got its feet and hands and fingers and everything and knows everything all the time. Well, if that's the case, why were the rebels and why were Luke and, and Han easily, so they can just dock with these giant, uh, sure. you know, space, space stations so easily and just get through security and bypass all this stuff all the time. What's up with that? So we sort of took that idea and said, well, it's because... Uh, the empire, just like any other uh, fascist regime, is also cheap, and they're going to contract out yeah. to all of their sort of um, security uh, departments. They're going to co- contract that out to the lowest bidder, and they're going to have people on the ground that really aren't, you know, they're not fascist, maybe uh, per se in the, in their heart, but they just want money, and they're going to be lazy, and they're going to be overlooking this, that, and the other thing, and also. Uh, I think you you said you saw three first three episodes, so you would have seen this mm-hmm. part where um, Cyril Karn is talking to his talking to his supervisor, and the guy was just like, you know, you have you get your guys out here. They died, okay, I understand that, but also, what were they doing? They were drinking on the job. Yeah. They were, were supposed to be drinking. They were drinking um, uh, alcohol, which was you know brought in illegally. They were out of uniform. They were blah, blah, blah. They were doing all these other things that they weren't supposed to be doing. So what do we have to, you know, <laughs> clean house with there? Do you really want your entire department to stop getting away with all that? Because if we, if we investigate this, we're really going to investigate everything. Do you really want us to do that? No. Okay. So forget about it. Drop it. And Karn was like, no, I'm not going to drop it. We have, we have, we have a job to do. We have a duty to do. Uh, he, I don't think he's like, you know, he, he's like uh, a true believer in, in terms of the empire, in terms of the sort of uh, fascist regime of it. I think he's like a, a true believer in terms of like, this is a, we have a job and we're like law, he's like a law enforcement guy, right? He's a, he's a blue lives matter guy <laughs> in our world, right? Yeah. He's a, he's like, he's just a space cop and he wants to sort of track down everything and get everybody in line. Right, because he goes to these people. Yeah. I don't know if you saw this part, but he goes he's to these like people. He's like a space and- mall cop who thinks he's really <laughs> important, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So he keeps bumping up against these people. He keeps interacting with all these people that are just like, man, I I have to like, you know, scan through thousands of this to find this one guy. Do I really have to? He's like, yes, you have to because you're a, you're a blah, blah, blah. You're a, you're an empire guy. So yes, you have to. So it's very interesting to sort of look at the world of Star Wars and ask the question of like, why was the why are the rebels uh, able to uh, bypass this security that's supposed to be so um, impenetrable, right? So that it's a very interesting idea to explore that, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think I'm, maybe I'm actually a couple more. I might be like five episodes in, um, yep. but yeah, like that guy I think is a really interesting character because he's kind of like 
he he is acting like he's really tough and cool, but he at his core, like he is a sniveling little coward, you know. And yeah. I love that he and he kind of like he's got that other guy who is kind of maybe more the true believer, like the guy who's like, like he's like got a Scottish accent, I think, and he's just yeah. he's like, all right, here we go, you know, all right, good, well said, sir, and then he's just kind of like leading the charge, <laughs> and it's just like these guys are all just fucking buffoons, you know, just going into the, that town and just 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 doing a horrible job and. Um, yeah, Stellan Skarsgård is is really great. great. His his character is really cool. Excited to see more of him and Mon Mothma and all that stuff is just kind of taking, like you said, it, it doesn't have to be like Jedi's and lightsabers and force powers. It's just kind of this grittier side of the Star Wars universe that I'm I'm really digging. Yeah, exactly. And the thing I forgot to mention on the other show was like, you know, people talk about <clears throat> genre or, or horror, fantasy, sci-fi, whatever it is. And I'm like, oh, that wasn't very good. And the answer I always get is like, well, what do you expect? It's like, <clears throat> it's it's for kids. It's for it's it's just a horror thing. It's just an action adventure thing, you know. It's just action comedy. That was like uh, my friend was saying when we were talking about um, Thor. I came out of that. I was like, ah, that's not actually very good. And you're like, a lot of them were saying, um, well, it's action comedy. You just, so it, does, it doesn't need to be good. I'm like, no, this stuff can be good. Like, what do I expect? Better. I always I, I always want better stuff out of the stuff I enjoy. Even the even the geeky stuff, the nerdy stuff, the the um. The horror stuff, all of this stuff could be better, and this is a great example of that. Yeah, yeah, very well said, definitely. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Also, just want to mention the uh, Andor incredible cinematography, incredible uh, score done by Nicholas Nicholas Bertel, who does the score for um, Succession. Uh, it's incredible, like vaporwave, noir, Blade Runner synth uh, throughout the entire show. The, like the like I said, the writing is incredible, performances. Were incredible, but also everything, the score, the cinematography, the, um, I think a lot of times they, they try to depict like, um, what do you call it? Dystopian, um, just broken down society and people don't look like they actually live there, but this actually that from the, mm. from the makeup to the hair, to the, the clothing, to the sets, everything actually looks like they're just all dirt poor and just barely making it from day to day. So that every 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 aspect of the show just knocks out of the park. Yeah, and I think a big part of the reason that it does feel so real and lived in, and it's like, and I briefly touched on it, is that they are shooting on real locations. Like you look at Obi Wan Kenobi and it, yeah, and even The Mandalorian, and those shows feel really glossy, and that is because they shoot it in that like that Disney dome or whatever the fuck it's called um and there's some like there's some cool stuff you can do with that like if you're in space like use that shit like that is incredible um they did it for like one of the first movies to do it was first man and like all the space stuff is so good when they do it in that dome but when you're just like walking around a planet and you're just like in this like 20 foot dome and you just are on like a little track and just everything's moving around you it it it's so much more effective if you're on a real set a real lived in dirty set it's like the that move that i don't know if you've seen any of the rehearsal which i should have put on my uh, i've been watching list but nathan fielder's show where he he recreates to a t these real and like these environments and he's like then he goes to like a real kid's house and he's like oh like a uh and he's like i could never like everything was so perfectly placed and just so intentional but accidental at the same time you can never really you know, kind of just digitally create the just realness of just something like that. I mean, you can do some cool stuff with it, but there's no substitute for shooting an actual location. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, incredible show. I can't speak highly off, enough of it. Um, I believe they're on episode 8. I think 8 just aired this week, and they're doing 12. Um, they did mention that it wasn't getting great ratings, but fortunately, they I think they already picked up they already picked it up for the second season, so that's good. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah, because it seems like a show that it's it's getting really good word of mouth. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Absolutely. I'm seeing it on every every podcast that's tangentially anything to do with uh, with geeky stuff is always talking about that. And also, uh, I want to shout out a podcast called the A More Civilized Age uh, with Austin Walker, Rob Zachney, some of my favorite uh, cultural critics. They may, they mainly do video game stuff, but they're also extremely, extremely smart. Uh, you know, just, just discussing that stuff from a, like a political um, stance and from a, you know, historical stance of like, you know, what this is actually about. Um, you know, they, they always talked about real quick. I just want to say they, Lucas always talked about Star Wars as being an uh, allegory for Vietnam. So all of this stuff, whenever you hear anybody talk about it, like being political, this stuff has always been political. It's always been about, you know, these guys grew up in during in the shadow of Vietnam. So all of this stuff, Star Wars stuff, um, a lot of the um, James Cameron, I think, made Terminator about not necessarily Vietnam, but about, you know, the the. Just the world he's living in. You can you go back and watch interviews with with those guys, and then and then they always admit like, yeah, that was based on you know the empire. The empire was the um, U.S. Army, U.S. military in Vietnam. That's that's what that was. He said that multiple times. So a lot of the stuff actually does have a lot of layers that you can dig into in a really interesting way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned watching the rehearsal. I've been meaning to watch this for a long time. Uh, what'd you think of it? I, I thought it was great. It definitely, the first episode is what you would expect. And then it kind of goes a different direction in the rest of the season um, in ways that you're not really anticipating. I think Nathan Fielder is just kind of a genius when it comes to making these shows where you're like, where does the artifice end and what is real and what's not? And that's kind of very much what the show is about. Um, for anybody who's not aware, it's it's a show where the premise is that Nathan Fielder will get people ready for awkward or tough situations by being able to rehearse it. And he'll like create an entire bar, like down to the smallest little thing, just so somebody can go and have practice having a conversation with somebody on trivia night. And it's, it's just about how uncontrollable life is and how we try to plan everything out and that, that can't work. And, you know, you're watching, you're like, how much of this, Nathan, is Nathan Fielder portraying a character and how much is it actually him? Because it's clearly like he's very awkward and 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 it's clearly based on his own anxieties. So I I really enjoyed it a lot. It's only six episodes and they're, you know, about, I think, usually 30 to 40 minutes. So you can you can watch it pretty quick. It's an easy binge for sure. Nice. Yeah, this is definitely one of the things I'm going to be watching uh, before the end of the year. Make my list of the best stuff of this year. So definitely will catch up with that at a certain point. Um, nice. let's see. And you also watch Halloween ends. I've heard many, many things about this movie. <laughs> so I'm None very of them good, I'm sure. Yeah. Actually some good thing. I, it is completely really? split. Yeah. Talk about it for a second. I'll look up the, all the tomatoes and letterbox stuff. Um, yeah. So this is, this is a horrible movie. Um, <laughs> it is, I, I really did not like Halloween kills. Um, and this movie made me retroactively appreciate that movie so much because that movie was just dumb and killing time until this movie felt, could resolve it. But 
then this movie is just it really feels like they were making like some lifetime movie or like CW TV show, you know, some kind of because it, it's just it's or like a it's it's like a like a it ends with us like style trashy romance with like a ooh this guy's a bad guy and I'm like not only is like Laurie Strode barely in it which was a problem with the last movie but Michael Myers is barely in it like it's barely a Halloween movie it's just this weird other thing which maybe could work if it was handled well but there is no the plot is just nonsense and all over the place and after you made Michael Myers so like unkillable and all powerful in the last one they just go the a complete opposite direction where it's just like it's just baffling the choices they make in this cuz it like it's it's just everyone in it is just so dumb and no one feels like the same character and it feels like Laurie's character arc in these three movies should have happened in reverse because in Halloween 2018 after Michael Myers killed some people she knew 40 years ago and has been locked in prison for 40 years she's like ah an inc- insane like Sarah Connor's like survivalist but in this one Michael Myers after just 4 years after he murdered her daughter and half of Haddonfield and is still out there on the loose, she's like, eh, whatever. Like, I'm just going to live my best life and become a shitty writer. And I'm like, <laughs> what? What? So it, it, it's just it's just every every moment in this movie goes from bad to worse. Um, I don't know. It's just, I mean, the, the ending is, is so fucking dumb. And it's just, it feels like it was, it's weird because everyone involved in this was the was on the previous two halloween movies and it feels like no one was people who don't understand halloween were in this and it's it's just like i don't it's just weird it's it's like why make all of these choices the only thing i can say good about it was in the beginning there's some people watching the thing on tv john carpenter's the thing which obviously a reference to the fact that a John Carpenter directed the original Halloween, and B, in that original Halloween, they're watching the original thing on TV. So that was the highlight of the entire movie for me, to be honest, was this little weird callback that I thought was pretty great. But the rest of it is just bizarre. And it's just, it's, it's, it's not, the biggest problem is that a slasher movie should either be scary and if it can't manage to be scary, it should at least be fun, like Jason X. Yeah, right. That's a dumb movie, <laughs> but it's fun. This right. movie is is it's not even like really trying to be a scary movie. It's trying to be a melodrama, and it's not fun either. It's not like ooh, this is kooky and fun. It's just like, all right, I guess like there's no fun, over the top, weird kills or anything. Even it's just pretty fucking boring. Unfortunate. <laughs> I heard yeah. a rumor that David Gordon Green was recreating the original first three Halloweens. So I guess he went and made the third one, which everyone hated as well. Halloween three season of the witch. He went and did that again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, at least season of the witch was like, we're going to do a new story that isn't related to Halloween. And yeah. I don't think I haven't seen it, but I'm pretty sure season of the witch is not a lifetime original. <laughs> um so i i don't know like he does he does the the font 
I I guess the like I've seen the side by side where the font is the same as Halloween three, but there's no Michael Myers in Halloween three, and there is there is Michael Myers is a character he's right. barely used, um, right. but they do still need to put him in there because it feels it which feels like and they feel like they wanted to make a different movie than Halloween, which is weird because these guys are obsessed with Halloween. Um, I don't it just I don't understand how this movie happened. <laughs> Somebody need to step in and be like, what is going on here? Please stop. Oh, man, I guess so. One of the cases where studio interference might have actually been a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you also checked out Ticket to Paradise, a new rom-com with George Clooney and Julia Roberts. What did you think of this? This is a perfectly fine, instantly forgettable rom-com. Like, it's it's like, okay, Clooney and Julia Roberts together again. They obviously have chemistry because I wanted, I was bummed they they do steal. Oh, I was going to say they didn't steal anything. They do steal something. And it's not a spoiler because it's in the trailers. <laughs> they steal the rings. But ah. that's that's the only, there's, they're not stealing enough stuff. They're not pulling enough da- uh, Ocean's Eleven cons. Right. They're good. Um, Billy, Billy Lord is the best friend in it. She's really great. And I related to her a lot because she's just kind of the best friend who's just like, yeah, I'm just going to get drunk and have a good time. And then um, Caitlin Deaver plays the daughter. Uh, she's really good in it. Caitlin Deaver is pretty great. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's one of those movies you walk out of the theater and you're like, huh, okay, I'll give that three and a half stars in Letterboxd and just never think about it again. <laughs> Caitlin Deaver and Billy Lord were also in, um, what was that movie? The- Booksmart. Booksmart, yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, yeah. Re- yeah. Which is, it was a nice them. little reunion for the two of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, they did a, um, they did, what do they call it? A Julia Roberts Hall of Fame sort of votes. Have you been a Julia Roberts person? I, I, yeah, go ahead. She's okay. Yeah. She's, yeah, it was, yeah, she's, she's, she's fine. You know, I'm not like a huge Julia Roberts person, but I think she's a good actress. Yeah, she's one of these people that always, a lot of movies I haven't seen of hers, like from the early '90s, like Sleeping with the Enemy and Aaron Brockovich. That's not from the '90s, but one of those big ones I haven't, I've yet to see of like, you know, uh, Oscar-winning movies or just investigative movies, you know, or um, that sort of like a civil action, those those type of, you know, one person versus uh, organization. You know, did a lot of um, rom-coms. My, my best friend's wedding, um, Pretty Woman. You know, all of those like. Your mom probably likes these movies, <laughs> those, <laughs> those type of stuffs. Um, let's see. I did like her in Charlie, Charlie Wilson's War. That's an underrated movie. That's actually. a good movie. Yeah, that's a good, is we a should good, cover that. Honestly. We should. That's a really good movie. Yes, it is. Um, obviously, Ocean's Eleven, where she plays her. What, did she play herself or somebody like her? Right. So she, yeah, in the first Ocean's movie, Ocean's Eleven, she's like um, Danny Ocean's ex-wife, and they kind of get back together, just like this movie. Um, and then in the <laughs> sequel. They're like, oh, we've got to like do this thing, and we, you know, who who Tess kind of looks like. Oh, don't say it. And then it's like, oh, Julia Roberts. So it's she's playing Julia Roberts, or Julia Roberts is playing Tess, who looks like Julia Roberts. She's like, oh, this character that Julia is looks just like the actress Julia. And you kind of like you're like, this is weird because it's like you think about it. It's like, does that mean that like Danny Ocean looks like George Clooney and like Linus looks like Matt Damon? But whatever, don't think about it too much, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Let's see. Next up, you have seen Amsterdam, another movie I haven't. Boy, you got a trio here of not uh, not great re- reviewed stuff lately. What'd you think of this one? I mean, Ticket to Paradise, I think it's solid. Amsterdam is is kind of not great. You know, David Russell, obviously very problematic guy. This is just a weirdly paced movie. 
it's one of those movies you're like what is the the narrative thrust just kind of feels all over the place there's a lot of weird voiceover by christian bale who christian bale is just doing it's doing it all in this movie there's a lot of it's just a lot of like what is this movie like i was the person i was seeing we just kept turning each other and being like what is happening like in this movie that it's just it's it's so just like and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened and it's got all these huge celebrities in it and they're all giving great performances but the script is just like all right well you know small spoil like one of my favorite parts is just taylor swift who's really bad in it like it's great because like all these huge actors are giving great performances and taylor swift just shows up and she's like wow gee golly mister and then just Timothy Oliphant just shows up and just pushes her front of the car and she gets <laughs> run over. It's just so good. And then they replay that scene later on in the movie. It's just, it's a weird, it's a like below average movie. Um, it's, it's, it's very strange. Christian Bale's just kind of wandering into scenes and been like, I didn't know what was going on. What's this? Who's this guy? I'm like, yeah, same bro. I get it. Like it's, it's very strange. It's like, it, it is, it is truly a really weird movie. Yeah, and you know, David Orschel's been on a pretty decent slide uh, recently. You know, I like The Fighter. Um, I like Silver Lines Playbook. American Hustle was eh. I never saw Joy. Uh, so this is yeah, not no getting. Did. Yeah, no. <laughs> Amsterdam's not getting well received. You know, I like. You know, going yeah. back to his filmography, um, Three Kings I just saw recently. That was very good. Never saw I Heart Huckabees, which is famously now. You know the stuff coming out of about him being a, an asshole. Um, I guess mm. he was had a, like a screaming match with one of the actresses from that movie. Uh, let me see which one it was. Yeah. Um, do you know which one it was that, off the top of your head? I mean that that's it's hard to say because he gets in so many like he he gets in so many fights with so many people. Like he gets in fights with Christian Bale and stuff all the time. Like every yeah. he gets in like all these physical and verbal altercations with people that I, I have no idea who you're talking about. could be a number yeah. of people. Yeah. Uh, and Lily Rosa something on that, just like, that's yeah. the thing about this movie is that it's, it's like, Oh, the message is like, we should all just love each other and be happy and be cool. And there's nothing <laughs> in the movie that like, that's supports that. Like, it's just right. like these people hung out in Amsterdam and they love each other, even though that isn't relationship doesn't feel like real or earned. And it's also like, this is coming from a guy who like famously like, assaults people and like like you know maybe and molested his niece and just is a really shitty dude and like him preaching about like loving each other just seems really weird and off base and has nothing to like it's just i don't know it's it's fucking bizarre <laughs> right so I, I, I probably skipped that does it seem like it would uh it's gonna garner any uh awards later on this year no absolutely not like this is a okay. huge like i think that's why everybody you see all these big names jumping on board because they think they can get an Oscar nomination, but it did yeah. so badly with critics and so bad at the box office. It seems like another Cats, you know, where people are like, oh, this is a guy who has gotten Oscars in the past. If we get on the, in his weird movie, um, we don't really know what it's about, but we'll we'll probably get some acting noms. And it's just like, nope, nope, not this one. All right, so I guess I'll, I'll skip that one. Um, and then yeah, lastly, lastly here, you have something I've been... Uh, Watching week to week, I haven't actually watched the newest one yet, which is the last uh, last episode, is uh, 101 Scariest Movies, Movie Moments of All Time. What'd you think of this? I loved this. I was definitely one of those kids who, you know, I was the right age when Bravo was doing their 100 Scariest Movie Moments, and I wouldn't be the first to compare the two, because this is clearly kind of a spiritual successor to that. Um, of course, though, updated in like the 25 or so years that they've been making horror movies. 
you're getting all these really knowledgeable people coming on and talking about horror films. I love lists, like listing things. Obviously, that's you know what I do with one of my side hustles is working for a company that is very well known for doing that. So getting to see, okay, here's like starting from 101 going. I did have to fast forward through a couple because I was like, oh, I don't want to. I'm gonna watch this. I don't want to spoil it for myself. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there's, there's some really great stuff on here. I think the top 10 especially was like, yeah, these are all bangers. Like, you know, um, like they're all some of my favorite, not just horror movies, but movies in general. Um, so I think they really got it right. There's some very knowledgeable people that they bring on to talk about it, uh, to talk about this stuff. And it's just, if you're interested in the history of genre filmmaking and horror and the things that it's saying about society, um, and if you at all watched the, any of the path any of that bravo stuff it, it's the same kind of vibe it's it's absolutely really fun nice very cool i definitely will check out that probably after we're done here um what do you think about like when people make lists like this is you know without getting too specific does the top 10 is it just like psycho is it just like nightmare on elm street is it kind of the same stuff uh people talk about all the time is there anything in there that you were like oh that's interesting or i haven't seen that before it's a lot of the ones you would expect. And I feel like, you know, with the top 10, you kind of got it. There's there's some surprises on the list. You know, there's some there's some deep cuts. Like, uh, I mean, they mentioned it in the Bravo list, and they also mentioned it here. And it's one I covered on Underrated because you actually suggested it was, was Peeping Tom. Um, but then there's some there's some stuff like, there is one that I'm, I'm, re- I'm a really big fan of, I won't spoil it, but there is one, I think it's the number nine pick is, a movie that I'm very, very fond of, and I was glad it was that high up, that was maybe not like a perennial classic like Psycho, um, but it deserves to be really held up, I think. Um, there, There's some, you know, there's some stuff like, I think is really underrated, uh, 40 Days a Night um, got on the list oh, in a yeah. pretty high spot. I want to say it was in the 30s. I was glad to yeah. see that. So there, there are a few surprises, but you also have to be like, put some respect on Psycho, put some respect on Halloween, all these ones. Um, the Exorcist, all all these movies that deserve to be ranked high are ranked high. Yeah, because I was thinking about like the um, IndieWire just recently did a list of the best uh, movies in the 90s. I caught up with some of those. A lot of them are uh, ones I haven't seen before. A lot of them are very, uh, foreign films, very obscure movies um, that I really haven't heard of before. Um, so when people are making a list like this, do you think they're you know, uh, is there a responsibility to sort of expose people to, to newer films and also to like put, like I said, the classics on there? How much how much do you think people should sort of be traditionalist, I guess is the word, word for it, um, as opposed to sort of bringing in uh, more representation and more sort of movies people haven't really heard too much about? Yeah, I mean, like I said, as someone who, who does this um, from time to time, uh, I think you really got to strike a balance. You got to be like, okay, you don't want to be the person who's like, okay, what's, you know, what's the the best, you know, video game of all time? You put something weird and obscure. You're like, oh, well, you know, it's like, or what's the best video game of 1998? Well, you're gonna put Ocarina of Time at number one. You don't want to be that guy, you know, or at least <laughs> the, you know, you know, number one or two. And yeah. you don't want to be that guy who's like, oh, well, I'm gonna put this weird obscure thing just to be edgy and different. But you also do want to include things you know, like I said, that are that are underrated or underappreciated because they deserve to get more use on, you know, put on a peeping Tom because that is an unsung classic. Like that movie, in my opinion, is better than Psycho. Like no disrespect to Psycho, but but Peeping Tom is just so good. So it's yeah. I'm really glad that that was on the list. You got it's it's a hard balance to strike. You gotta have an 
a lot of both of them, I think. Yeah, and, and I saw when you have 101 entries. You, <laughs> you have that opportunity. You have it's not a top 10 where it's like, oh, or a top five where it's like we can only include so many, so we got to put on all the hits, and maybe we'll put on one obscure one. You got 101 movies, you put on all the shit that you need to put on. Yeah, exactly. Well said. Um, I also brought that up because this year, um, every 10 years, they Sight and Sound does their 100 greatest movies of all time list and they update it. Um, for you know to try to include some of the movies from the past 10 years um so they were discussing this on film spotting and sort of um give a poll and said you know of you know of these four or five movies from the last 10 years what would you put on there um just thinking off the top of your head uh, would you put stuff like uh parasite would you put stuff like uh portrait of lady on fire is there anything you would include on there onto the 100 best movies of all time from the last 10 years I mean, I think Portrait of a Lady on Fire definitely deserves to be on that list. That is a masterpiece, one of the greatest movies of all time. Uh, stuff from the past 10 years, I mean, I, I feel like this is maybe an unpopular opinion with some film snobs, but I think you got to put some Marvel shit on there because of the way superhero movies have dominated the culture so much in the past 10 years, and people like to look down on those, but, I mean, Endgame, Infinity War, those are fucking masterpieces too as far as I'm concerned. Right. The fact that they were able to tell that complex, interconnected story across all of these movies that have all these characters from different franchises and have that have a cohesive, interesting ending. And just the way that even Infinity War ends where it's just that, you know, shocking downer of an ending. And I, I, there, those, there needs to be absolutely representation for some superhero movies that have come out since, since 2012, uh, I think without a doubt. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, I keep, and, and uh, they talk about this on like, um, what is it, Ringerverse uh, or the Midnight Boys. Mm-hmm. They always say, they always mention Infinity Pew-pew. War. Huh? <laughs> pew pew. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they mention a lot uh, Infinity War over Endgame. I've heard this a lot. And in terms of like a movie that I would say is an all time banger, all time, you know, best movie, one one of the 100 best movies of all time. Um, you know, I got to put Endgame over Infinity War just because of the sort of subverting expectations in terms of the beginning, the first hour, like hour and 10 minutes, hour and 20 minutes of Endgame is slow. Like there is not much going on in that movie. It's very retrospective. It's very quiet. It's very contemplative. And that 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 is something you don't see uh, very much. You mentioned things you don't see in action movies, you don't see in superhero movies. I think there's so much more... Uh, to dig into and so much more to point at in terms of subverting your expectations going into a superhero movie in Endgame over, you know, Infinity War. But that's just my, that's my opinion, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's not wrong. I mean, they're, I, they're, honestly, for me, they're, they're both up there. Yeah. Um, they are very different movies. Um, also, I would say from the MCU, Thor Ragnarok, I would probably want to throw up on that list um, yeah. as well. Yep, yep. Uh, just looking through, you know, some of the best movies of the t- past 10 years. Uh, Moonlight could probably be on there. Definitely would say that. Um, Arrival, I could definitely see that being on there. Uh, let's see, what else? Um, I think Her, Her could definitely be on there um, from mm, yeah, 2013. Yeah. Uh, I'd say, yeah, Blade Runner 2049 would be yeah. another one. Um, the Green Knight uh, is really yeah. great. Um, maybe one that's a little underrated, I think First Man Uh Fucking oh, yeah. incredible. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, Damon Chazelle. There's a there's at least, there's at least honestly, maybe all of Damon Chazelle's movies. You know, First yeah. Man, 
La La Land, I think, really deserves to be on there. You know, uh, you know, speaking of you know, Moonlight versus La La Land, those were both incredible movies that came out in the same year. Um, and then um, Whiplash that he also did, um, also really, really great. Yes, indeed. Uh, just looking through the list here, I don't know what their cutoff was, but I would say you know, Tree of Life was 2011. So I'm not sure if they considered that for the previous list for the 2000. 2000- I think that was one that was like it came out in festivals in 2011, and then it wasn't didn't actually get a real release until 2012. Yeah, so definitely I'm right. I mean, I might be wrong about that. Yeah, so definitely, definitely would put that one on there. It was one of my favorite Terrence yeah. Malick movies. Um, yeah, same. Let's see. Yeah, just a whole bunch of good stuff from there from 2012 on. Yeah, can't wait to see what they put on there this year. Uh, let's see. Go back to what we've been watching. Um, let's see. I've talked a little bit about uh, The Way of Kings because I read three of those books. I've put in <laughs> probably, I don't know, four or five days of listening to uh, audiobooks from Brandon Sanderson's world of uh, the Stormlight Archive. Um, they're not my favorite uh, finished books. I would, I would, in fact, probably put them down near the bottom in terms of like stuff like Dune, stuff like uh, Lord of the Rings, or even more modern stuff like, um, uh, I don't know, I, I guess you call it The Expanse. It's definitely more sci-fi, but it does have a lot of fantasy uh, stuff mm. going on in there as well. Um, Dune is in there. Uh, yeah, it's just, uh, the, the wheel of time is the one I was thinking of that sort mm-hmm. of came out in the two thousands as well. Um, he's just not good at having this. I had, I had a Goodreads, uh, review pulled up. So let me just pull that up real quick, but it's just overall, it's not compelling. Um, I don't think the overall, I think the overall story is very compelling, but I think the characters are not compelling at all. I think he's, um, one thing that George R. Martin, again, speaking of modern fantasy, does really well is having these very well-drawn, detailed characters that bounce off each other very well and complement each other very well. Whether you have like Arya and the Hound or you have like Jamie and Brienne, you have these people in that world that sort of in their time together, they sort of uh, reshape and reform each other uh, in very different, different and interesting ways. And this book has characters that I find incredibly boring. <laughs> like they're all <laughs> just, none of them have like a, um, an ideology that they stick to no matter what. They all seem uh, very pliable and very, and change very quickly depending on what type of situation they're in. So there's really nobody mm-hmm. in there in this book or any of these books that I would point to and be like, this is a person that, that, that I'm look forward to being in this type of situation. There's, you know, there's nobody that has like a very um, rigid and straightforward and, uh, unchanging sort of uh, outlook on life where, you know, oh my God, I don't want that person. That person's a fucking dickhead. So he's going to just roll this <laughs> other person. No, everybody's very contemplative, which I guess is in, is good in, in one way, but also not compelling in another because you just know that, you know, these, these people are going to talk to each other and they're going to find a middle ground. And that's not really very compelling when you think about like interpersonal conflicts in a book, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I would probably say pass on that. Um, and then uh, even quick- though you've listened to it for five days, <laughs> that is, that is like you start with like, I've been listening to this yeah. for five days probably. Uh, and I don't like it. <laughs> I like it least like I, it's not like a zero. It's like, um, mm-hmm. you know, if I had to rank it, I would put it like, you know, I would give it like an 8.5, not like a, not like a two, okay. you know, when I, when I rank stuff, people are always like, oh, so you put that at number 10. So you really hate it. No, like my, if I rank a thing, it's like the, the number one, it gets like a 9.9 and the second one's like 9.8. And then they just go down gradually like that. Like I like all of them. And this is, this is kind of good in that sense of like fantasy stuff, but it's just doesn't hit the highs of like the expanse or wheel of time or dune 
but it's still very very well written. Um, so yeah. Uh, then I'll skip over Tarkov. Tarkov is a game that's just uh, <laughs> kicks your ass all the time. Actually, we'll talk about it for a second because uh, they did an event today. It started yesterday where they're like, hey, here's a good idea. Let's have this game that fucking kicks your ass all the time. That's an incredibly punishing game where you can die at any time because the maps are the maps are just like, uh, uh, what do they call that? Um, like Zelda or like a... Witcher, what are those called? It's like, a, it's like an open world map where there are no like um, choke points. There's no point at which you feel safe. There's no, there's really very few points where you feel like you've got all of your line of sights uh, taken care of. You can be shot anywhere from any time, really. So it's a very punishing game. And they did an event yesterday, which is like, hey, spooky dookie time. What's the event going to be? Oh, how about random fucking effects for your guy? How about a random effect where you might just spawn in, just like bleeding all over. And if you didn't bring enough healing, you're going to fucking die. How's that sound? Sound good? No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> no, thank you. Because I'm still level 10. So it's very expensive for me to buy uh, buy healing items and to bring them in. And so yesterday I spawned in. And I'm like, I got heavy bleeding in my head and my arms and my legs. I got disorientation. I got tunnel vision. So it's like, it's pretty much unplayable at this point, really, for the entire weekend. So I'm like, nah, fuck you, Tarkov. <laughs> You're hard enough without yeah. giving me like RNG effects when I just pop in at the very beginning. So yeah, fuck that game mm-hmm. for now until I go back All to right, it. All right, good enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see what else. There was something else I was going to bring up. I forgot what. Oh, just some, uh, some random stuff I've been watching. House of the Dragon is very good. That finished up this week. Uh, incredible acting, writing, uh, Damon Targaryen, Matt Smith is incredible. Um, all of the actors and actresses do an incredible job, um, just reacting in their faces and their eye, eye emoting in their faces and eyes and everything. Um, Patty Considine better get a fucking, uh, Emmy nomination for his portrayal of Viserys in this. There's a scene that won't spoil too much, but... He's basically dead. He's dying. Like within the next day or so, he's just going to keel over because he's like, he's got, um, they, they don't name it this, but it's basically uh, leprosy. Like his skin just sloughing off. He's missing an eye. His teeth are falling out. His hair's gone. He's a whole mess, right? So he comes in and um, they're arguing again about like lineage and this person and uh, Rhaenyra had a bastard kid. So her kid shouldn't be the next in line because her father wasn't this person or that person. So uh, Viserys comes into the to the main courtroom with the throne and everybody's arguing. <clears throat> he comes in, shuffles in on a cane. He's, his Half of his face is, has fallen off, so he's got this like fan of the opera covering half his face, but it's this cool like gold half mask on half of his face and he's he's walking in with his cane takes this time uh walking up the long walk up to the throne and he finally gets up there he bows his head and his hat falls off and damon played by uh, matt smith comes up and he says come on get up here come on let's go that's, that's his brother in the show so he finally gets up on the throne sits down there like, ah, what's this about and they're so ar- arguing about like you know this person's a bastard and that person's this thing. And there, one guy finally says it, just streams it out. That woman's a whore and her son's a bastard and it's bullshit that her kid's going to be the next king. And, the, and uh, Viserys' brother, uh, Damon, comes and slices his head off from behind. And uh, right before that, Viserys is like, yeah, I'm going to cut your tongue off for saying that. And Damon comes up behind, uh, 
cuts his half of his head off. His head falls to the ground, but he can see his tongue still attached to his head. And Damon's like, he can keep his tongue. Fuck yeah. Fuck. <laughs> that's the that's the stuff I'm here for, man. That's the that's the Game of Thrones nice. shit I'm here for. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible show. Highly recommend. Uh, House of the Dragon. I need to watch it. I'm probably gonna binge it once yeah. it's all once it's all done. Really good, really good. Um, and then just a couple stuff I've been randomly watching to catch up with um, that I haven't seen before. Snake Eyes from what was it? Year 1998, directed by Brian De Palma, starring of course the great Nicolas Cage, just chewing fucking scenery everywhere in every scene he's in. Um, you got you got uh, Kevin Dunn in here. You got uh, Louise Guzman in here. Uh, who else was in this thing? Just a bunch of people. Bunch of people you would recognize from uh, late '90s uh, movies and TV shows. Gary Sinise plays the commander. Really, really great. Um, like eight or nine minutes. Uh, one shot. Love me with some one shots. Really great opening one shot in this film. Highly recommend uh, Snake Eyes. I believe that's streaming on HBO Max. Um, then what I else see. I was. Well, I was yes. for a second. Go I was ahead. like, oh, I guess Damien watched that GI Joe spinoff from last <laughs> summer that nobody cared about. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I just had to want to get in the, um, what do you call that? The uh, G.I. Joe, G.I. Joe uh, Universal. The G.I. Joe Assance? G.I. Yeah. Joe movie, Universal movie, yes. All that stuff. Yes, the cinematic universe of G.I. <laughs> Joe. Cinematic movies. universe of G.I. Joe, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, and finally, checked out uh, Adventureland for the first time. Uh, never saw this. I heard this was a great a sort of, yeah, uh, um, flipping your expectations for, for a rom-com. Uh, young Jesse Eisenberg, Kristen Stewart, Ryan Reynolds, Martin Starr. Great, uh, great cast. Great movie. Highly recommend. Bill Hader's in this. Yeah. Greg yeah. Matola of um, Superbad and the Day Trippers directed yes. it. Um, yeah. I'm a really big fan of this one. Yeah, yeah. I finally caught up on that. Really glad I did. Uh, what else we got here? Flipping through here. Lost Highway. Got that DVD. Again, uh, Mr. David Lynch doesn't like to put his stuff out where it's accessible, so I had to go and buy that Criterion disc. Uh, one of the last David Lynch movies I had to go and see, and this was incredible. Very, very Did you dark. get it from Barnes & Noble? The sale's just starting. <laughs> I did not. I got it from uh, Criterion.com oh. themselves. But, you could have uh, got it for half off, Damien. This, somebody was have. buying that today. I saw it at work. Yeah. Get the Lost Highway yeah, disc, man. nice. Yeah, that Criterion sale, you know those those people love <laughs> that the the cinephiles. They always come out this time of the year. Yes, yes, but I do have to give a shout out to uh, Fuck Criterion because they laid off like ten percent of their workforce, but then put out these weird merchandise. Uh, I guess that says foreign mm-hmm. foreign on it, which isn't great. Um, so fuck them for now. But I'm still going to buy their DVDs because that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, great, great performance by Bill Pullman. Patricia Arquette is in this really gross, grimy, like noir, but in the only in the way that uh, David Lynch does noir. So, highly recommend checking that out if you haven't before. Nice, nice. Yep. So that's great. So I think that'll about do it. We got to do the letterbox shuffle. Before that, oh, you went to not not scary farm. Is this like a? I did. Yeah, is this like a thing where you go and people jump out and scary and stuff? Yeah, yeah, it's you know it's very similar to the the Halloween uh, haunt that they do at Universal, except this is kind of the the more this is the original one. It's the first of those like people jump out at you things that where they've got the like the spooky mazes and stuff. So this is one of the things Knotts is really famous for is every year they do this. And unlike Universal, which is you know got these kind of big productions and and you know they're always based off this high P. This is kind of just like 
Yeah, like they still look great. Don't even they're still like incredible. Right. Some of them are so cool, especially there's two new mazes this year that I get to go on. And um but it is more like Knots is kind of like a more like you know, the of the like Southern California parks, you've got your Universals and your Disneyland. Knots is kind of the more like this is the park for locals, you know. This is this is yeah. more like I think Podcast Ride is like, yeah, if you're you go to like a your grandma's church thing, that would be like kind of how Knots is. And but it is still some really cool spooky stuff and they, they're doing some cool stuff there's one right or maze you get to go through where you get like a little laser gun it doesn't really do anything but it's fun to go through it um so if you like i i was like you know what i haven't been in like five years so it's all new mazes since the last time i went um so you know i can't recommend it enough i'm unfortunately by the time people listen to this uh you know halloween's the last night that it happens but it's something they do every year um that is is really fun um there's i think that the highlight was there was there was one maze that was like it's called Dark Ride and you go through and it's actually like supposed to be, you know, like you're walking through like a broken down theme park ride that that is really cool. Uh so yeah, it's a, it was a lot of fun. Nice, very cool. Um let's see. So, let's get to um Letterbox Shuffle. Last time we did so the shuffle. Are, are we not doing uh, the top 5, Damien? Oh. <laughs> Sorry, see, I didn't put that in there, so I completely forgot about I it. Sp- that's all I didn't see it in there, so I texted you, "Are we <laughs> still doing it?" And you said, "Yes, yes, yes we are." Yes, I have it. Have it pulled up here. That was a, just a swerve, just to make sure you were paying okay. attention. That was just. What I, I was that's, like that was, waiting. That was, wait, that was I was for. like, "All right, all right." That's you, you what, got, yeah. You're keeping was, me on my toes here. I'm yeah, like, I was, yeah. Right. I was testing you, not it? me. Are we doing it? No, it's never be my fault. I've never forgotten to think, do a thing at the end of the podcast. Never. <laughs> no, that that doesn't sound like you. No. Uh, so top five best deaths. Um, different, a lot of different ways we could think about this, right? Because there's different uh, things that scare us. Everybody scares differently. Um, I was thinking about doing like grossest stuff, most grotesque stuff. Um, also, just wanted to do a mix of uh, region stuff and classic stuff. So I have some stuff at the beginning here, most recent stuff at the beginning of my list, and older stuff, more classic stuff at the top of my list. So I have a couple things here. I have a 5A and a 5B because I just had to. Um, Hereditary from 2018, Ariaster's Hereditary. Everybody knows the scene. Scene at the beginning, or near, near the beginning. Um, I think this movie does a great job of building the tension, so you're not sure when the thing's going to kick off, but when it does, it's incredible. Um, you have Peter's sister's death um, when she has... The um, the nut allergy. She's in anaphylactic shock, um, and Peter is driving to driving her to a hospital, speeding down the road uh, out of nowhere. There's like a like a deer in the road, dead deer in the road. Uh, he's forced to swerve to avoid it, but his sister's head is out the window, and a pole is right there and knocks her head clean off, which I don't think is anatomically correct. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know too much about the uh, the human body, but I don't know that it, that would knock you clean off, but it did here. Um, and this leads to the next scene where apparently he just grabbed her body off the road, but not her head. I think, doesn't, it, doesn't it cut back to her head? Right in the middle of the road, or side yeah, to side of the road. Yeah, like her, her, like her body stays in in the car, I think, and he oh, just right, kind of right, drives right. home in shock and just goes to sleep. And then her mom finds it, and then the next morning, the head is covered in ants. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you know, what's that conversation like? Uh, you know, you killed your sister, you left her head. Where'd her head go? You know, <laughs> it's like sorry, mom, I forgot. Let me drive back and get that thing. Um, but yeah, it's just awful. The the most guttural, feral screams I've ever heard from any any actor 
give it a movie uh, when she finds the body there. Um, yeah, it's just, just incredible. Tony Collette the- was robbed for, yeah. like, she didn't even get nominated for an Oscar because people hate horror movies, which is, it's a shame because she's so, so good in this. Yeah. I am your mother. You don't talk to me like that. Sitting there with your with your face on your face. I love that. <laughs> with your face on your face. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that was incredible. So that was my five A, uh, five B, or five. Sorry, that was my five B. My five A is Olga's death in Suspiria, the new one. Um, I did just check out the original uh, Dario Argento's original Suspiria from I believe nineteen seventy two. Um, on on Blu-ray, I wasn't a fan. Not not much of a fan of the of the giallo um, genre, but I did try to try to watch it just to say just to say I did. Um, wasn't a big big fan of that. <clears throat> I know that was one of the scenes that they had in the 101 uh, scariest moments in horror, um, but I wasn't wasn't a fan overall of that of that movie. But uh, a much different movie uh, from from 2018. Luca Guadagnino's uh, version of Suspiria with um, Kristen Johnson uh, playing the main role there. And uh, have you seen this? No, I haven't seen either version, honestly. So this is yeah, this is grotesque. This is this is some of the most disturbing body horror I've seen in a long time. Um, she is uh, Kristen uh, Johnson plays a uh, interpretive dancer, like a ballerina dancer, <clears throat> um, and it's run by a cult of uh, cult of witches, or uh, not a cult, a uh, coven of witches. And at, at a certain point, they're they're sort of I think they're it's never really explained what's going on in the scene, but anyway, she's doing this routine. Kristen Johnson is, and she's uh, dancing uh, in front of her instructor, and and in another room, another ballerina is is being having her. I don't know, essence taken out of her. And she's sort of uh, mirroring the same uh, positions that that Johnson is doing in the other room, but to a more grotesque degree, her her arm is twisting behind her head and her jaw is jutting to the side and you can see her teeth jutting out from the opposite angle. Really, really nasty stuff. So yeah, one of the best deaths I've seen uh, in in a recent movie. So if you're into that sort of thing, recommend that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not, so... I mean, maybe I'll watch yeah. it, but, you know, spooky season's over, so probably yeah. maybe next year. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, what is your number five best death in a, in a horror movie? So my number five is, and I'm taking it back. I'm going very old school here. This is a death that inspired an entire subgenre, and it inspired maybe, I don't know, might be inspired at least a couple that might show up on your list or whatever, but mine is the shower scene in Psycho. That scene is yes. so iconic that the 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 violins the Bernard Herman score just you just see all these angles you just see this you see this shadowy figure come in and just stabbing her in the shower she's so defenseless you don't really see a lot of stuff in it but it is still so visceral and just kind of the angles that Hitchcock used you know like he is a master for a reason and i think that psycho is a masterpiece it is you know everyone now knows it but you know in 1960 you think she's the main character and she just dies in this crazy shocking scene and because of that scene existing we have all the michael myers and the jason Voorhees and the chuckies and everybody who gets a fucking big butcher knife and stabs people (laughs) you can trace it all back to this scene that's in black and white with the chocolate fucking syrup going down the drain and the the shots it's it's, (laughs) it is it is it is a monolithic scene that I had to may not be the goriest or the grossest, but it had to be on my list. 
Yeah, like we were talking about, you know, the list, uh, you have to pay homage to the iconic stuff of past in, in a certain way. Um, there, you know, the stabbing reminds me of uh, something I forgot to bring up in the last podcast. It was um, the scene in Zodiac. It's not on my list because I forgot about it, but um, it's not that grotesque, uh, but it's very memorable. The scene in Zodiac where the, I think it's one of the first kills or maybe the second kill where the couple's having uh, a picnic out in, uh, in a field near a lake and the killer just comes up to them and starts stabbing them over and over again. It's so it's so upsetting because of how pedestrian is shot. There's no music. There's no violins. There's no sort of like uh, uh, quick cut to it. It's just very, uh, I don't know what you call it, orga- not organic, uh, very academic. It just slowly just has them tie themselves up, get on their stomach, and then the guy just gets on his back and starts stabbing him over and over again. You're just watching the guy slowly slowly bleed to death and slowly you can see the knife coming in and out of his of his back over and over again. So, yeah. Rough, rough one. <laughs> yeah, it, it's brutal because it's just so real and not at all stylized. Yes, exactly. Yep. Uh, my number four is another recent one, sort of recent. Uh, Georgie's death, the beginning of it. Uh, this is if people haven't seen it. Uh, little Georgie uh, goes out in his yellow rain jacket to um, bring his paper paper mache uh, boat out to sail it down the river going or this little going down the street there's a lot of rain going on so the street's covered in water so he's bringing that out and it goes down a drain and Georgie goes to the drain and he sees Pennywise poke his head out and it's so creepy Bill Skarsgård is so good in that scene where he's got the he's got the voice hey Georgie hey Georgie <laughs> <laughs> oh, would you like a little boat there Georgie hey, come on down little- here Come on, don't you? We'll fall down here. It's got his fucking eye moving. Did you hear that? Um, that uh, Bill Hader didn't know that his eye actually moved like that. And during one of the scenes, oh, he was yeah. like, "Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> so great." Yeah, Bill Hader asked uh, Bill Skarsgård how they moved his eye like that, and he's like, "No, man, it's real." And he, he does it, and Bill like freaked out. <laughs> There's, I, you, I've seen the picture of that moment. It's pretty yeah. fucking great. It's funny, yeah, yeah. But anyways, he um. Man, it's so visceral because he's just – he reaches in to grab he, uh, Pennywise, gives him – holds with the boat to Georgie and he's like, here, take it. And Georgie reaches in and it's just this, this giant maw of of multiple rows of teeth of these fangs come out of his mouth in just such an unnatural way and just chomp down on Georgie's arm and yanks it off. And then you see Georgie crawling on the ground trying to get away and then he's just dragged underneath the, the drainage. Oh, man, it's, it's so fucked up. It's so good. One of the best <laughs> openings in, in a horror movie, really. So highly recommend watching that. Uh, not, I would not recommend the second one. That was it. That was one of my big letdowns of that year of, of horror. Uh, it chapter two, not great, but the first one's very good. So that was my number four. Uh, what is your number four? So mine, you know, like my number five was a movie that went on to inspire so many films. Uh, this is kind of the opposite. This is a film that is paying homage to so many horror films, uh, slashers, um, in particular, but just kind of, especially towards the end, the entire horror genre, and it is a movie that I think, honestly, could be on that sight and sound list when they do it, because this is a movie from 2012, so it would be right there. Um, And this is The Cabin in the Woods. Uh, I think this is a masterpiece. The scene that I'm talking about, though, specifically, is the scene where you're like, okay, these guys are trying to get out. They're, 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 They're trying to escape, and Chris Hemsworth 
is going to have this heroic moment where he's going <laughs> to ride on his bike and jump, and it's going to be great. And the music swells, and if you're paying attention to the movie, to a scene that comes in earlier, you're kind of expecting this to happen, but he flies up and he shoots off, and, and it's like, oh my god, he's going to do it, and then just smashes on this invisible force field. And everyone is like, oh my god. And you just, like, any hope that you had, this this moment is totally subverted. This heroic thing is just completely subverted, and everyone's like, we are so fucked now. And nope. the scene, it's it's horrific, but it's hilarious at the same time. And Because it just goes on. Like, when the bike after it hits the force field, is just going down this cabin, it just... It just goes. It just keeps going and going and going. And the way that it just really pulls the rug out from under you, all of this momentum that it's been building up for the last 30 minutes of the movie is just completely like, no. And then that's where the movie has to, after this, go in a very different direction. And things from there just get gonzo. So I, I love that moment. It's such a cool, sub like, just like, wow, they really fucking did that moment. They're really... It's the first sign that yeah, this this is not how you're you're you know, it's not gonna go how you think it is. I think it's horror movies in particular do a really good job of being meta. You had your stuff like screams, um but this was really the the most the zenith of meta films, particularly in horror films, and this moment is really kind of where that's like, yeah, this is where we're going and where there's no turning back. Yeah, yeah, really well said. It's um it's funny, I remember watching um what was it shape of water and thinking back to the scene with richard jenkins getting eaten by the mermaid i was like wow that's uh foreshadowing <laughs> for his yeah. role like seven years later with the mermaid yeah that scene too was fucking incredible rich jenkins and bradley whitford were great it's such a great idea of just like yeah all this stuff that we've always um imagined in our closets and underneath our bed are just like this this like corporatized thing of you know, we we have to, and that whole idea again of of taking it further with the corporate corporatization of horrific things and of nightmares and of uh, creatures in the night, where it's just like, yeah, we're gonna try to. It's still um, still a mythical thing where we have to sort of feed this. Uh, what was it? A demon or a spirit or something? We have to feed. We have to make sacrifices to it, but we're gonna like. Mm-hmm. Put into a box. We're going to put it into a modern corporatized box where we're going to have it systematic thing. We're going to have workers with, uh, you know, button up workers working in, a, in an office type setting. So it's a very, very cool idea overall. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I One of my absolute favorite movies. Incredible. Uh, let's see. So we are at number three. So three to one uh, are going to be classic stuff from from years past. Um, and one that still sticks with me is Quince, Jaw- Quince Death in Jaws. Because um, mm-hmm. it, it's it's the things that really stick with me, and I think it stick with a lot of people, are not just the, the, the visuals of grotesque things and grotesque deaths, but also the sound. And so the sound of Quince Death's Quince, uh, feet uh, squeaking against the bottom of the boat as he's def- desperately trying to uh, get back up to the top of the boat as he's sliding down into the maw of Jaws was it, it still sticks in my brain and also his screaming and also the crunching sound of him slowly slowly being eaten by Josh because it's not just 
you know, he grabs him and pulls him down. No, he grabs him and then crunches down on him and then Quint screams and then blood starts pouring out of his mouth and then he passes out. It's, it's all these moments together really come together for just a, it's sears in my brain. I've seen, I saw this when I was like <laughs> eight or nine and, and from then on, I'm like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> I don't ever yeah. want to have that experience ever again. So yeah, re- incredibly memorable. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Jaws is is an unassailable classic, and yeah, you know, I I think it's definitely counts as a horror movie. I know there's some naysayers out there, but I, yeah. I I say it's it's absolutely horror. Yes, absolutely. What is your number three? So yeah, my number three. It's a another film that you know some people might not consider horror from the '70s, but I think it's horror. It's it's a classic, uh, and that is Alien and the chestburster scene. Yeah. That is a scene that is so iconic. That is it way before I ever saw this movie. I had seen it so parodied and in duplicated a thousand times over. This scene is just so because th- this is such good good horror where it's it's like this just unknowable monster thing and it is just inside of him and it just you know there's the stories of course that famously that none of the cast knew it was going to happen. And just this great fucking practical effect. Just, just even though you, even if you know the moods coming, like everyone does now, it's still surprising. It's still like, Oh my God. And you just kind of, it's so bloody and bristle. And this, the blood is getting on Sigourney Weaver and all these guys. You're just seeing this great performance where, you know, just John Hurt is like writhing there and <laughs> it just kind of bursts out of this, this little penis monster just comes out and, Oh, it's so gross and so fucking great, and it's just all in like there's so many scares on this that are in this movie that are in the dark, but this one's in the broad daylight, and yes. it's just the beginning of this fucking horrible evil life form. It is so good. It is yes. so cool. Like there's, I mean, people have talked to death about Alien and this movie for years and years and years. So I don't have a ton more to add other than yeah, it, it's fucking great. Yeah, it really is. Um, and yeah, there's like different versions of that story of like they didn't know uh, what was going to happen. And then Tom Skerritt sort of saw them putting it together. So he had some idea. And I think some of the cast had like, you know, they they, they, they read it in the script, but then like how it was actually going to happen on the set on that day was sort of a surprise uh, to, to, to many of them. And you see definitely Veronica Cartwright. Um, you can see in her face that it wasn't supposed to like hit her that much. <laughs> so that was definitely yeah. a surprise to her about getting splashed in the face with that much blood. But yeah, eh, you know, I have so much, there's so much to say about Alien. I'm listening, listening to um, a podcast on Waypoint where, you know, again, going back to the thing about, um, you know, Ridley Scott making this and how it was presented with the crew sort of not uh, just being this, this, um, this the group of laborers that were putting out there in space, not being paid very much, and putting it into a dangerous, life-threatening situation. You could read a lot into that about our modern-day sort of labor situation here. But um, yeah, that scene just just incredible. The the prosthetics involved in that. Um, I think they were mentioning on the one the hundred one greatest scenes. Uh, was it this one or was it Aliens? Where you have the scene with her and Newt, right? Because yeah, because Newt's in the in the second yeah, one. Yeah, that's Aliens. Yeah, both, Aliens. Both, both of the alien, the first two Alien movies are on the list. I would actually argue that Aliens is not a horror movie, but that right, scene no. is is pretty good. Yes, exactly. So yeah, yeah, great pick. Love that scene. Um, 
Let's see, where am I at? Uh, let's see, number two, um, another classic, the mallet scene, mallet uh, scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre with the guy getting smashed in the head with it. Again, this goes back to the thing I was talking about with Jaws where it's not necessarily just the action, the scene on scene where you've seen the, um, the effects of it uh, and the blood. Actually, there's not a lot of blood in this movie. That's what I was telling Dion. And he's like, I'm never going to watch this movie. And I'm like, actually, there isn't a lot of... Uh, so a lot of blood and gore in this. People think of it as being a precursor to some of the most grotesque movies um, out there. But there's very, very little violence in this movie. If you actually go back and, and watch it, just this, there's this one scene where, you know, he walks into the house. He says, hey, hey, anybody in here? And he, and he goes in, into the room a little ways and he goes up this uh, little ramp and uh, Leatherface is there, pulls out a mallet and smashes him in the head. And it sounds like a fucking... Uh, cantaloupe being smushed on the ground you know you never it's it's a rare sound to hear in a, in a, in a horror movie and it's also rare to see him the way he reacts because he just falls he, he just collapses like a you know wet paper bag and then he starts shaking and shuddering and having these spasmatic uh, uh, motions to it and that, that's the thing you never really see too is like people when they get a lot of head trauma like you see definitely like in the NFL or like uh, you know you watch like um <laughs> world star hip-hop or you know any any real life of violence people actually you know spaz a lot because it's like a neurological effect that they have from being hit in the head so that was a lot of rare um very rare reaction to him being hit in the head there which again sticks in your head when you see it when you're like 10 years old 12 years old like i was <laughs> growing up back <laughs> in the day so yeah extremely affecting scene yeah, and I'll just echo something that they were talking about on the 101 Scariest Moments. Um, when that, he just, he's on the ground and he's kind of writhing around and then just that door just, it slams. And it's like, oh, this guy's yeah. fucking done. Like, this this is yep. over. Like, like <laughs> this is some serious shit. Yeah, and it's, um, I think something they're bringing back with some of the, you would call it, I guess, uh, elevated horror or, you know, psychological horror or a lot of the A24 stuff where, if you go back and watch the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, a lot nothing really happens until like the 50-minute mark when they finally get to the house. A lot of it is that building dread and you have that uh, kind of psycho hitchhiker cut himself in the van. And you and then and then it's only then when they get to the house when the, when the violence really starts to spike. So very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what is your number two? Uh, my number two, it's another movie from 2012, Good Year for Horror apparently, um, for me at least. Uh, and this is a movie where I I do not really get scared by jump scares. Uh, I don't think I think they're a cheap trick. I don't think they're good movie making at all. Um, what really scares me in a movie is when something is just very fucking unsettling. And you just we talked about Hereditary, like when you see when Tony Collette is just up there in the fucking corner, and you just kind of and she's just there, and then you just kind of your eye goes from like oh fuck. And this is a movie that really does that unsettling feeling there's maybe one jump scare at the very end but other than that it's all just this unsettlingness and the thing it does all over and over is it has this grainy ass 80 8 millimeter 16 millimeter footage of just these horrific murders and you just you know what's happening and you're watching them slowly play out and that is sinister the scott derrickson's 2012 movie sinister um, and Derrickson has even talked about how, like, they've they've done studies on like what is the scariest thing, like people's heart rates, and people's heart rates got the quickest out of like all the horror movies they <laughs> tested with Sinister. 
And I think the scene of all these grainy, fucking terrifying scenes that really takes the cake is the lawnmower scene yeah. where you're just seeing and it's just the lawnmower is just going and then just and in my mind, I remember this scene being so much more graphic than it is. But it really leaves it to your imagination. You see Ethan's Hawk's reaction. Like, it cuts out right when the lawnmower is about to go over somebody's face as they're tied up on the ground. In my mind, I was like, I remember it hitting, like, five people. And then I rewatched it for this. I was like, oh, no. Like, you just you just see the buildup to that. And that's honestly much scarier is when you make yourself believe that you saw this horrific thing. The movie just gives you someone reacting to it. It puts the scare into you. That's the kind of shit that I love. That is absolutely what I... And that's why it took me so long to to get into horror films because a lot of the films in the 90s were all about showing you every graphic detail, whereas this is just, like, making you very disturbed and uncomfortable and, and watching it, everything just slowly and terrifyingly play out. Yeah, yeah, I love this movie. Um, I actually just saw it recently for the first time. And, yeah, mm-hmm. those, those scenes in, in the... Um the found footage movie or the, the footage he finds um, they are watching it is terrifying. I was more affected by like the moments he does really well. Um, you know, those nighttime scenes where he's walking down the hallway and he's hearing things yeah. and he's seeing shadows. I love those two. I, lo- I love all of that. He's re- the kids are behind him and they're yeah. just like creeping around just out of sight. God, that that's also great. <laughs> oh my God. I love, I love, love, love sinister. Yeah. And Ethan Hawke's so great in that as well. It's a great movie. So we come to number one here. Um, I have a number one from 1968. It, it's Dwayne Jones um, in Night of the Living Dead. And I wanted to bring this up because, you know, it's a, it is a, it is not a grotesque uh, kill. It's not gruesome. It's not bloody. But it's affecting. And it's it still sort of reverberates today because, you know, a lot of um, what we talk about uh, with casting is, you know, representation. And we want to... You know more more of that, and um, I think it's it's something where it just takes two seconds to 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 look back at where we came from with genre movies and with horror. Um, Dwayne Jones was a black man. The the first one of the first survivors of one of, of one of the first mainstream zombie movies was a black man. So I think we really need to um, you know understand when we say. Well, why is this person? Why are we just now doing uh, representation? Why are we just now, re- quote unquote, replacing uh, people and and putting uh, black and brown folks in in these roles that that they generally um, historically haven't been in? Well, it kind of we kind of been there, and this is is an example of it. And also, we've had the social commentary um, in these movies. But if you just take two seconds to 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 look at what they're actually saying, uh, this movie was in 1968. Uh, Robert Kennedy was murdered that year, I believe. Martin Luther King was killed around that same time. Um, so this is very much a reaction to those events and a very much um, reaction to the civil rights um, events around then as well. So it's just, it's just a very depressing to see how it's just sort of coming back around to the same sort of stuff. Uh, but the, 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 you know, you can sort of point to a couple of different deaths. If you just want to talk about actual uh, kills in this, you have the, the daughter um, being sick in the basement and she's sort of, uh, <laughs> she doesn't even eat her mother. Like she's zombified, <clears throat> she's zombified, but then she like stabs her mother with, uh, it wasn't a knife. I forget. Oh, it was a, um, it was a spade, like a, a gardening spade. She just stabbed that with, with her mother. So that was that was very cool. But um, yeah, the last shot of this movie is is Ben um, in the window waiting for for help from the local law enforcement, and they just see somebody in the window and they shoot him. Which <clears throat> you could 
sort of read as ambiguous as, you know, did they see him? Did they see that he was black? Did they shoot him because he was black? And you could sort of, um, if you wanted to sort of leave that up to interpretation, but it's, it's, it's in there. It's in the text, uh, that this is very much about what was going on at that time. So one of the best, not, not best deaths, but most impactful, most memorable and, uh, most important deaths, I would say in horror movies. And it's just, it's so, the reason that death hits you so much because it's, you've spent the whole movie, like, oh my gosh, rooting for this person and they, they're going surviving zombies and all of this. And it's like, oh my God, this is the moment he should get rescued. But then it's just so pointless the way he dies. It's just so nihilistic and just, it just sucks all of the, just, you're like, oh my God, you were just rooting yeah. for it. And then it's just like, no, the world is fucking terrible. You've been all, all on this guy's side the whole time and to have all of these hardships that he's got through over and over and over and to have him die like that. You're like, are you fucking kidding me? But it's yeah. so real that it, it, you can't, it just it, you can't help but feel just like so affected by it. Yes. Yes, exactly. So that uh, was my number one. Uh, what is your number one? So my number one. Yes. This is an entire film franchise that is built around really cool cinematic deaths. That is the thing that this mo- these movies are known for. And I could have there's so many to pick in these movies. And I almost I almost I was almost about to just say the entire first movie where there's there's just like five or six different great deaths. And there is one at the end that is particularly good that kind of hits the same just like oh my gosh. Like, what has what this all been for? But, you know, we're going to roll it back around in a circle. But that is, my pick is the teacher, uh, Mrs. Luton, in the original 2000 movie, Final Destination. I <laughs> love Final Destination 1. There, there's, the, there's some sequels that are, that, are, that are pretty good. They vary a little bit in quality. But this is the slasher film where the slasher is just the concept of death, which is incredible the whole thesis of these movies is that death is inescapable and just when you think you've gotten away and beaten it no the movie ends with it coming back to you but the the kill that i want to talk about specifically because one thing that these movies maintained over the years and they're still very well known for is their intricate rube goldberg-esque device death scenes and the one that really takes it for me is when the teacher who by the way she's great in this because she's not like sympathetic she's just like to the main character she's like you scare the shit out of me you're freaky stay away from me i'm getting i'm literally getting out of town yeah. and and it sets up all these little things and it just makes you it, it, she, like you see her the, the the her mug cracks and then she puts it on the computer and it drips in and that causes a fire and then she grab and then the knives are here because she set the thing here and then they fall on her and the house burns down and she's stabbed to death and all of these little just t- this 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 does this and this does this and this does this and then you're dead on the floor with knives and you burning to death like and this movie is one of the few times where it has such an effect on you after watching the movie in the real world. I'm not afraid that I'm going to be, you know, stabbed in the shower after watching Psycho. <laughs> I'm not afraid that I'm, I'm going to get a- attacked by zombies. But when you watch Final Destination and you, like, drop something, you're like, oh, ah, like, then in the next week, you're like, that's going to cause a spark that's going to shoot into the wall that's going to fucking cause <laughs> a thing to come out of the, like, uh, my, my, my 
my closet's going to fall over and then it's going to decapitate <laughs> me. And I remember when I first saw this movie when I was like 10 years old, I was watching it on my shitty TV on my VCR and my cat tried to climb up onto my counter and she knocked off my lamp and it was flickering because the TV was on and it, and it fell on the ground and I was convinced that it was going to light up something and then I was going to be dead. And that's what this movie really does to you is yeah. it makes you fucking so afraid of the most mundane things that you're going to cause this crazy chain reaction and it's so creative and so interesting. I I love this movie. Three is also pretty solid, but really this, this is the scene that, that, that does does it for me i think the most it is the most creative just kind of series of all these events one leading to the other that inevitably will lead to your ultimate demise that um was the uh i'm trying to think is number two the one with the freeway and the and the the logs that was a contender for me that that freeway scene (laughs) with the logs like like people you don't you see logs on the freeway you don't drive behind them because of that movie right exactly exactly yeah incredible really really great series um of movies all right so those are top five best deaths in movies um just gotta mention i got a couple uh honorable mentions uh, just some slasher moments from the Friday the 13th franchise. Um, Jason Goes to Hell. I remember seeing this. I looked up the date of the release of this movie. And uh, based on the based on the release of it, I must have been, again, like 12 or 13. <laughs> Maybe younger <laughs> watching this fucking movie, which is crazy. Um, he, you know, guy and girl are having sex, just going at it into a fucking tent. Um, girl's on top, and then Jason comes through the tent with his machete, goes through the woman and pulls up and fucking bisects her. So her, you know, left and her right fucking titty go flying <laughs> opposite ways. I remember seeing that uh, back in the day. Um, and then, of course, you have to mention the Jason X frozen head smash, which is uh, on, a peop- on the top of a lot of people's list as one of the best kills in the Jason franchise. Um and then, of course, the sleeping bag scene in Friday the 13th, part seven, Jason lives, where he takes a girl uh, in her sleeping bag and smashes her up against a tree, which is later uh, referenced in Jason X, where they have an AI sort of um, hologram projection in the spaceship itself, where they where they bring the scene back and actually have two women on two separate sleeping bags. And Jason takes one of them and smashes her on over on top of the other one, which is very interesting. <laughs> so oh, so- one, one more I want to throw yes. out from the Friday the 13th series. Take it back yes. all the way to the first Friday the 13th. The only person from that movie who would have any kind of career which yeah. is Kevin Bacon, which he got to yeah. start in the in that movie, and just the the arrow coming up bleh, through his throat—that's such a good death. That is a great death. Um, and then, of course, thinking about actors who got their start in horror movies, you have uh, Johnny Depp in the first uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, who got sucked into the bed, and then the bed just shoots blood out of it, which was you know one of the one of the great early. <laughs> early death yeah. scenes still very very well done still haven't really seen anything like that before um you know there's some stuff i was while i was re-watching possessor from 2020 uh brandon cronenberg's uh second or third feature film um there's a scene with um uh what's his name the guy that always dies in all the movies sean bean sean, sean bean. bean's yeah yeah sean bean uh he gets a fucking poker 
fireplace poker in his mouth. He's like laying down and the guy stabs him in the mouth with a poker and he's like twisting it. You can hear all his teeth breaking. I was like, Ugh, that's fucking gross. <laughs> um, you know, I, like I said, I rewatched a lot of, not a Cronenberg recently. There's a scene in uh, History and Violence uh, that I rewatched, which um, has Viggo Mortensen. He smashes a guy in the face with um, a coffee pot and he goes down, and I think that might be him, or maybe he might. I think he, somebody somebody goes down, and he gets he gets shot in the face. Where they cut the last scene, the last shot of that scene is the guy's face without his 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 uh, lower jaw, which is which is pretty gnarly uh, from that movie, which has you know not a lot of violence in it, um, but you know a lot of Cronenberg stuff you can point to, like the fly, a lot of stuff in that, a lot of stuff in his movies were always gross. Uh, anything for you in the honorable mention? Um, I mean, I think there was there was a few that I was kicking around. One I did also think about uh, that that blood scene where Johnny Depp gets shot in the bed, which I think they they ended up shooting. Um, it's the old trick where they have the the rotating room where they shoot the blood up. You know, yep. um, I yeah, I, I didn't write down any modern mentions. There was there was a bunch I was kicking around. You know, a lot of the ones from the other ones from Final Destination. That that final scene where the billboard swings back, and you're like, oh no, this is not over. That's such a good like ending. Um, you gotta. Yeah, I don't think I have. Uh huh. You, you gotta mention the part, the uh, the death. Was it the first one or the second one where she just is having the argument and she backs, uh, slowly backs away into the into the street and the fucking bus just takes her out. Was yeah, that that's the first, the first one? one. That one's really great. Or the, yes, how Sean William Scott goes out because the thing just comes and fucking cuts half of his head. Like it's just the top half of his head gets cut off and that's such a good scene because it, it teach it's like that's where they start to learn the rules of like okay we were able to skip a person so yeah. like what does that mean uh yeah there's and i mean the roller coaster all the beginning deaths are always really good in the final destinations the roller coaster yep. one um from the third one is really good and also i you know that i watched that like three days before i went to knots so i was like all right well hopefully i'll <laughs> die in this fucking janky ass coaster jaguar yeah. <laughs> that knots um yeah, the, the, I mean, well, I could I could do an entire list on a yeah. of, of Final Destination ones. What was the one where the mall was like on fire and the girl falls into the uh, escalator? Was oh, it like the I mean, fourth that's one? That's either four or five. I can't remember. Those yeah. ones are not. Uh, four is really bad. Five is. Is it bad? <laughs> yeah, that's what I just remember. Because again, it's like that slow, like, oh my God, my, my ankles, then your knees, then your fucking pelvis. Yeah. Ugh. Gross. Uh, just nasty, nasty stuff. Trying to look through here so I can find anything. Jaws. Event Horizon I rewatched recently. Some nasty stuff in there. Obviously, uh, oh, sounds- Midsummer. The end of the mid- Midsummer yeah. when uh, he's in the bear suit. That is that is great just because it's just he's just sitting there and you know what's happening. It's just the smile Florence Pugh gives him is, is definitely really good. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, so many, so many great kills we talk about. Um, so yeah, let's go back. Uh, let's do our letterbox shuffle. Let's talk about the stuff yes. we got assigned last time. I got a movie from 1947 directed by Delmar Davies, uh, called the red house starring Edward G. Robertson, Lon McAllister and Judith Anderson. Synopsis is an old man and his sister are concealing a terrible secret from their adopted teen daughter concerning a hidden, Abandoned farmhouse located deep in the woods. This was okay. It has a 3.3 on Litterbox. I give it a three as well. Um, good performances from uh, Edward G. Robertson. Um, interesting thing here is like it's it's you know the 40s in the late 40s and 
you know, when you think about um, jobs you would get as a kid, like when we were kids uh, growing up, you know, the first job would be like, you know, McDonald's or Walmart or some sort of like corporate job like that. Um, and here he, he <laughs> I don't know if it was like summertime, but he's getting off the bus at, at, a, at a certain point and he's like, yeah, I'm going to go work for this fucking random farmer over here. I'm going to do some odd jobs for him and get paid over there. What? Really? <laughs> Just this is some random dude. Okay. I guess you tell your family. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, it was fine. Um, yeah, it would, it would seem like it was more horror or more thriller than it was. Um, yeah, it was fine. Glad, glad I saw it. Only 100 minutes, so it didn't take too much time out of my day. Um, yeah, it was fine. What did you think of, you got assigned last time, Jason and the Argonauts. What did you think of this? Yeah, so, you know, like I said last time, this is really interesting because first time I, I got assigned a, there's two collaborations between uh, Ray Harryhausen and um, Don Chafee, and it tried to give me one the first time, and I pass on it, and then it says, all right, well, then you're doing fucking Jason the Argonauts. This is, this is, I'd seen bits and pieces of it before, I'd never watched the whole thing, and this is just a good, fun, old school adventure, you know, that, it looks great. It's one of those movies you will watch, and you're like, Man, this is like a technical achievement. There, I mean, there's definitely some stuff that is pretty dated, but there is some stuff you're like, wow, they did this shit in the early 60s. It's kind of amazing because you watch other stuff from around this time period and it looks like some hot garbage. And there's even, you know, there's a scene where it's two guy dudes on the boat sword fighting and it looks bad. It's like just two actors. And it's, <laughs> it's not very interesting or engaging. And then you have a sword fight, the climactic sword fight that everybody knows from the end of the movie, where it's the Argonauts and they're fighting against the skeletons that were so painstakingly made by Ray Harryhausen. And like the effort that went into that to make that scene is obviously so incredible. And that scene looked with all of these different actors interacting with people that aren't like these creatures, skeletons that aren't even there looks so better than just like a sword fight between two people. And the fact that he was able to do that is astounding. Um, this yeah. movie's a lot of fun. If if you want to go back and if you care about special effects and the history of like, if you want to watch something with some really great old school special effects, there's other cool stuff. There's this big giant brass Titan that they meet at one point. That's really cool. Um, and it's just a kind of a fun adventure. Uh, it's not like the greatest movie ever made, um, but you know, the, you know, there's no, no, there's no real great acting or anything like that in it. But if you like mythology, if you like old school adventures, and if you want to watch, you need to check off a Ray Harryhausen box. I'd say yeah. this one really would be a good one because God, that last fight, <laughs> it's like, honestly, I don't know when I, I've seen very many fights with modern CG stuff that looks as good as this. And that they couldn't even move the camera because of the limitations of the time because they had to use rear projection, but it still looks so good. Nice, very cool. Uh, where'd you see that? That's on, uh, like every other weird movie yeah. from the past, um, it's on Tubi. <laughs> Tubi, love the Tubis. Uh, yeah. Let's yes. Uh, so let's go to our letterbox, and we'll right. do the old letterbox shuffle. I got a bunch on here. Just realized that are not coming out for a while, including Tar, which I'm going to see tomorrow. Tease our nice. next episode. Yeah, we'll tease the next episode. I'll see Tar tomorrow, so I'll be coming back talking about that. But uh, for now, I'm going to go to my watch list, go to Shuffle, hit Shuffle on there, and I got Hexaw Ridge, movie I oof. have not seen, obviously. Yeah, I say oof. Uh-oh. What's, why oof? I fucking hate that movie. I'm sorry. Oh, I, fucking, no. I fucking hate that movie. Uh, <laughs> Is this the... Um, all right. 
<laughs> Good luck, Gibson. Man. Maybe you'll have a different opinion than me, but I fucking hate that movie. Yeah, I, I looked at it and I'm like, is that a Clint Eastwood joint? No, it's Mel Gibson. Yeah. Similar. Oh, Mel Gibson. Similar. Right, right. He's even worse. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. Got Andrew Garfield, Sam Worthington, which they tried to make a guy. They tried to make him a thing yeah, for a remember long that time. Yeah, that was going on. Sam Worthington, they were trying to make Sam Worthington a dude because yeah. he was the handsome white guy. So like, this is going to be a thing. He was in Avatar. He was in Terminator Salvation, Hexar Ridge. He was in Everest, Clash of the Titans. Yeah, no. Oh, he's coming back for the Way of Water. Good for him. That's that's a yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I I filtered my my list by things that I have available on streaming services because I'm I'm sorry gotcha. I'm not you know because I have a lot of upcoming things and I'm also yeah. not going to pay two ninety nine to watch something. Sure, sure, gonna, sure, sure, uh, sure. <laughs> and I got oh a movie that I've been wanting to watch for a little while uh, for a long time actually and that is two thousand five's uh, Andrew Nichols uh, Lord of War starring Nicholas Cage. Nice. Very cool. Is that uh, Nicholas nice. Cage and Ethan Hawke? Is that right? Uh, yeah, Ethan Hawke's in this. He's like fourth build, but he's in it. Nice, very cool. So that's cool. So we'll be talking about that on the next episode. And also, like I said, I'll be watching Tar tomorrow, which I heard uh, Sean Fantasy says one of the best movies of the year that he's seen so far. So I'm definitely looking forward to talking about that next time. Uh, probably also, I think Armageddon Time is also coming out, the James Gray film. Uh, let's see. And also, um, we'll also be talking about Black Panther, hopefully, depending on when we record it next time. That'll be coming oh, out. Yeah. Yep, November yeah, and, 11th. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try and see Tar. I, I'm also going to see Banshees of, Banshees of Ed Sheeran um, at yeah. some point. <laughs> like next week, I think I've, I've got my ticket already. I've never heard. I want to use that from now on. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, man. I saw, I, I heard, um, doing a film, film spotting review yesterday. So they did a very good review of that. So definitely looking forward to that. One of my favorite directors, one of my favorite actors and actors. Yeah. Actors. Uh, uh, team up yep. there for that. So highly looking yep. forward to that. Highly looking forward to your review of it next time. Uh, let's okay. do some pluggy, pluggy, pluggies. Plug podcast, uh, Medium blog. Go to medium.damian.sherman.medium.com for all my reviews. I do a few more reviews on Letterboxd. I don't post to, to Medium, so check me out on B for Benedetta on Letterboxd. I'm coming up on 400 movies seen this year. I'm at about... 360 350 something like that so i'm so i'm heading there so check me out as i'm on my journey to watch 365 plus movies this year and also i'm getting close to 2000 overall so join me on my journey over there um film scs on youtube anchor.com to host a podcast and i still have the cinematech interviews and the br Yeager interviews on the feed go back there and check those out what do you get to plug mr derek yeah, so uh, my podcast that I do with uh, my friends Alan and Ariel is called Underrated. It's a film review podcast where we talk about films that are obviously underrated, um, under the radar, overlooked, um, whatever they might be. If they're movies that you got to see um, that you know maybe have passed people by, uh, check it out there. I have a lot of fun with that show. Um, today, cause we're going to be coming out with a Halloween episode today. So our episode that we're talking about for Halloween is Halloween for the return of Michael Myers. I'm editing that right now. It'll be out by the time you're listening to this. So go wherever you're listening to this podcast and listen to that one. Uh, I'm also in anticipation of our 100th episode of Underrated doing a lot of other podcast stuff. 
including um, season two. I'm bringing it back of my show Gateway episodes where we're looking at miniseries. Uh, so the first episode of season two for that is going to be out in just a couple days on uh, Wednesday, on Wednesday the 2nd. And that's going to be out every Wednesday leading up till uh, right about the end of the year, uh, talking about, um, you know, uh, TV shows or miniseries um, in this case. And you're going to be on one of those episodes. It's either the yes. second or third last episode. We're talk we talk about devs, uh, which is really yep. fun. So I'm editing that episode. So everyone should listen to that. Listen to Damien's episode when it comes out and uh, listen to all the other stuff. Yeah, listen to all of that great, great content. Uh, so yeah, uh, thank you for coming on. Always enjoy s- discussing stuff with you. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to come on. So for can I say something? Can I say something? I've been Damien, and I've been your spooky friend Eric. <laughs> See you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. There's always my way. <laughs> Ha, <laughs>